0: Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. Good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. It does feel like family around here for me, and that makes me so happy. I, I, I mentioned that last night in the service when, when I walked into the church, there were just so many friendly faces and familiar faces and so I just felt like I was coming home, right? So it's good. It's good. Look at your neighbor real quick. Let's, let's make sure we're all awake because it was spring forward. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, you look good this morning. Right. Even with an hour less sleep, you still look good. Yeah. Look at your other neighbor. Look at your other neighbor. Say, other neighbor. You're, so, you're my second choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's okay. You look good, too. You look good, too. You look good. Oh, uh, just so good to to, to be here. And um, as Pastor Candace mentioned, I you know I've had the privilege of being with you multiple times over the last several years, and uh, it's it's great. And so today is is great for me because I love to come uh, and partner in uh, whatever series a church is doing. And so this is this is week number two of privileges, and uh, it's just good to be here. I, I think I was looking at my calendar. The last time I was here was in the fall. It was I think it was September of last year. And there's a, there's been quite a few changes in, in our life as a family. Uh, for those of you that, that know us a little bit better, there's been quite a few changes in our life since then. Um, one of them being that our family is going to be growing this year. And no, that does not mean my wife is pregnant, who's watching right now on live stream, okay? okay. Um, no, my son Caleb got engaged. And so we have a wedding coming up in a couple months. Yeah. Yeah. And so we are uh, so excited about that, and uh, it's, 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 it's just great, you know, we're, so he, right after, really, I was here, he got engaged, and, and uh, so we're planning that, and just yesterday, um, my wife and I were a meeting with uh, my wife's, uh, my son's fiance, her name is Jessica, and so we were meeting with Jessica's parents, we're having lunch, and we were kind of going over the wedding and everything, and, and how many of you have been through this as parents, you've been, you know, okay, and some, some of you are like, no, you know, I haven't, but one day, your, your day will come. And you'll sit there and you'll go through list and list and list like I was doing yesterday. And and, and at almost every bullet point on the list, you'll be either asking or thinking, how much is that going to cost? <laughs> right? Is this kind of like, and of course, I guess I'm the, uh, we're the fortunate side of the family now because it's our son. And so, you know, they're footing the bill for most of this, but I got two daughters. So I'm thinking, man, I need to start, I need to start another side business or something, right? And um uh, you know, but there's like, there's a price to this, right? It costs something, right? And, uh, it, you know, it's the privilege of gaining a daughter, but there's a price attached with that, right? There's always a price to pay, isn't there? Like in, in, in like, in any and every area of your life, there's always a price to pay. All the husbands, look at your wife's shoes and just remind yourself there was a price to pay for that, right? Yeah, yeah. All of, all all of you people that own cats, there's a price to pay for that, right? Just, just saying. Or little dogs, little dogs, bro. Same, same thing, right? There's always a price to pay, right? It's just kind of the way that, that life works. And, um, I was thinking about that and I'm thinking about our family and even I was thinking about my wife and our, um, our relationship and how it formed. We were, we were both seniors in college at Valley Forge Christian College. And, um, and it was, we had started dating in our, in the fall semester of our senior year. Um, and then in the spring, I um, mean, we're getting close to graduation, and so we're like, I, I'm, I'm feeling like pressure, right? I'm feeling like, man, I'm getting ready to graduate. I gotta go get a real job, and I, and and there's a lot of pressure in my life. And then I have this woman that I love that I'm dating, and I'm not, I'm just, I'm very uncertain, and I'm, I'm I kind of internally collapsed under the pressure, if you know what I mean. And 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 I just, I'm thinking to myself like, I can't do this. It's too much. It's not like, something has to give. Something has to change. And so I decided that that something was the relationship. It needed to change. And so I, I, remember, um, sitting there one night, um, and talking for hours and hours and hours to then, you know, my girlfriend, Julie. And I'm just talking and talking and talking. And, and, and then I, when I finally paused, which is rare even today, when I finally paused, um, I was trying to explain to her, like, why we should end the relationship and how this doesn't work. And I didn't know how to do it. And, and so I, I, I just I, at some point I think I said to her I, I think I think maybe God wants us to break up, typical lame Christian boyfriend junk, right? Just like I'm gonna blame it on God. <laughs> and uh, she just she just looked at me. She was so kind. She just looked at me and and and, and I finally got done talking and it was her chance. And she just kind of looked at me and she just said, "Well, you better make up your mind, because it's a privilege to date someone like me." she said she said it's a privilege right she said it's a privilege to date someone like me and I ain't gonna wait around for you there's a bunch of guys on this campus that would love to marry someone like me right I'm thinking like oh my gosh she has a list like she's got like she's got like other guys you know but you know by the way guys like that's how you know she's the one for you right there like like when she's just like it's a privilege look at your neighbor and say it's a privilege and, and, and that's what we're, we're talking about here, right? Talking about, about privileges, right? And the privileges that we have, uh, to be a part of a family like this, the privilege that we have to have a relationship with God, right? The privilege that we had to be serving and alive and living during like this period of history, right? Yet with that privilege, there's pressure sometimes, isn't there? I mean, there's just this pressure of life, everyday life, working jobs, managing relationships, raising kids, paying off bills, right? I mean, pressure, if you watch the news at all, it's just pressure, pressure, it's political pressure, it's wash your hands for 20 seconds, every hour pressure right now, right? I mean, it's just pressure, pressure, pressure. I want to take you to a, a narrative, to a historical narrative in the Old Testament where we are introduced to a man named Elijah who's under a tremendous amount of pressure in spite of the fact that he has tremendous privilege in his life. And so if you want to grab your Bible, you want to turn with me, we're going to, we're going to be uh, initially, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17. Um, we're going to read a couple verses in 17 uh, and then we're going to flip over to 18 and we're going to read a couple verses in 18 and then kind of work our way to the end of the chapter. So I'm going to jump around a little bit um, and I'm going to fill in some of the gaps and give you some context in the story. Right. So so everyone say Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. Elijah give me some context real quick before I start reading to you here in First uh, Kings 17. Elijah is a prophet. Um, we don't use that term in, in cr- much in, in our culture today, but in, in the in the Jewish culture and in the historical nation of Israel, a prophet would have been considered to be the spiritual leader of the people, very well-known, right? Like, like, like put it in today's context, like if we had an Elijah today, he'd have millions of followers on Instagram and Facebook. Everyone would know who he was. Everyone would be watching his podcast and his sermons every week. And so Elijah's a prophet, he's the spiritual leader of, of Israel, and Elijah finds himself in a pressurized, a high-stress situation in the nation of Israel. What had happened, and just before I start reading in chapter 17, let me give you some context. What had happened was the new king, Ahab, had decided that he wanted the privilege, speaking of privileges, to import and export goods from the Phoenician Empire during that time in history. And so in order to do that, he decided to marry a woman named Jezebel right? Jezebel was a Phoenician princess. This goes against everything that that, uh, Israelites would have ever done, but, but, but Ahab did it because he wanted the privilege of importing and exporting goods, and he marries Jezebel. Jezebel wants to do some importing and exporting herself. She wants to import some false gods into the worship system, the religious system of the people of Israel, and she also would like to export the worship of the God of Israel, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so all of this is going on. This is all the background. And, and now we finally get to chapter 17. So you can follow along with me. Pick up here with me in verse number one, First King Kings 17. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Gilead said to Ahab, so he's speaking to the king, As the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So Elijah's rendering judgment at this point. Very very pressurized situation. He's in the king's court. The king, the one who has all authority, the one who could just snap his fingers and have Elijah executed if he wanted to. I mean, this is, this is a pressurized situation. He's confronting the king, the, the king of the nation. He says, no rain, no dew, no rain, no dew, no dew, no mountain dew, no Taco Bell, Baja Blast, no Code Red, no no what a, no what dew, nothing at all. And, and then the word of the Lord came to Elijah after this, and he said, leave here Turn eastward and hide at the ravine east of the Jordan, and you will drink from the brook I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Now, this is crazy. Like, this, this is, if, I guess if you're from Baltimore, this is great. The ravens are going to feed you, right? If you're from Pittsburgh, like me, this is a curse for you. Like, it's just, a, yeah, it's a bad, it's a bad. I don't want you, don't, you know, send a different bird, you know? Send the eagles. I'm, a, I'm more okay with that than I am with the ravens, right? You know? I'm just, I'm just, but... So he did what the Lord told him, verse 5. He went to the ravine east of Jordan. He stayed there, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, let me fill in some gaps here before we jump to chapter 18. This lasted for three years. For three years, Elijah is hiding out at this brook Drinking from the stream and the birds are bringing him bird, you know, like, like bread and meat, like twice a day, right? I mean, now here, here's the point that I want to make. And I want to look at this text. And, and as we get into chapter 18, we're going to, we're going to meet Elijah on Mount Carmel against the prophets. And it's a very familiar story. And some of you probably know this story. You kind of even know how it ends, like spoiler alert, fire falls from heaven, right? You kind of know how it goes. But, but I want to look at this, this text, this narrative through, through a different lens today. I want to look at it through the lens of generosity. I want to look at it through the way in which Elijah and the people of Israel have the opportunity to respond to the challenges that are presented to them. So, so here's Elijah. And Elijah finds himself in a very challenging situation. I mean, think of it. Like, just kind of put it in the practical sense for a second. Elijah's lost his home. Like, Elijah's not living at home anymore. He's not He's not waking up doing the use. How many of you have, like, the usual things you do every day? You know, you wake up, and you, and you make the coffee, and you make your breakfast, and you, you let the dogs go out, right? You, you have, like, the usual things that you do. God, Elijah's lost all of that. All sense of normality, all sense of comfort in Elijah's life is gone as a result of him doing what God had told him to do. He went to the king, he said, because of your complacency, because of your apathy, because you've allowed, now here's technically what's going on, because you've allowed mixed worship to take place in our country, the worship of the God of Baal, and the worship of the God of Israel, and you've embraced all of this through your marriage with Jezebel, because you've allowed this, there will be a judgment of three years of no reign. Now you got you to understand, uh, geographically speaking, what's happening here. We're in Israel, we're in the Middle East, I mean, it's already a very arid country to begin with, but three years with no rain equals economic collapse. We're talking poverty. We're talking no crops can grow. We're talking animals are dying because of dehydration. We're talking people have lost their jobs. I mean, we're talking about the economic collapse of the entire nation of Israel and the man himself who prophesied and proclaimed it Elijah is experiencing the results of this as well, and he's not the one who did anything wrong. Well, think about this for a second. He's trying to do what God has called him to do, and he finds himself for three whole years living at a brook and getting fed by ravens. And, and after three years comes along, uh, the, the, the word of the Lord speaks to Elijah again. Now I'm filling in some bl- blanks from the story later on in chapter 17, and, and we'll get here to verse eight, uh, chapter 18 in just a moment. For three years this happens, and finally God speaks to Elijah and says, go back to the king and give the king this instruction. And so he goes back to the king. Now now move on with me to chapter 18, verse number 1. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, go present yourself to Ahab, and I'll send rain on the land. And so Elijah went and presented himself to Ahab. Right Now skip a couple verses with me real quick, because I'm just trying to fill in some blanks here and save a little bit of time. Right? Go to verse 16 with me. Verse 18, actually. Go to verse 18 with me. This is chapter 18, verse 18. He says this, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. He's talking to Ahab. You've abandoned the Lord's commands. You followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Azurah, that was another false god, who eat at Jezebel's table. So there's the command. He's talking to the king. He says, meet me at Mount Carmel. Now, now this, is, this is interesting. Let me give you some context here real quick. What's interesting is when you study this text, scholars will tell you that the people living in Israel at the time believed that Mount Carmel was the home of the false god Baal. And so there is this epic, like, religious steel cage match going down on Mount Carmel. <laughs> it's like the God of Israel and the God of Baal. And, and Elijah says, you guys can have home court advantage. Like, we'll do it on your turf. And here we go. You meet me there. You're, you're hundreds and hundreds of prophets, false prophets, just versus me. But all of Israel's invited to this moment. Now, now here's the point I want to make about all this. I gave you all that context to make this one point right here. When you choose generosity, which is what Elijah's done, and I know that, that sometimes when we use the word generosity, you automatically think money. We'll talk about that in a moment. But generosity is so much more than just your money. It's the way you live your life. It's the way you perceive life. It's the way you care for other people. It's the way you interact with other people. Generosity for some of us is is really not for some of us, for all of us. It's the smile on our face when we greet another person. It's the handshake. It's holding open the door. It's, It's the way you love people. It's the way that you care for people. It's the way you welcome people into your home. It's the way this house, Freedom Valley, interacts with the community of Gettysburg. It's generosity. And there are times in our lives, and there are times in your life personally, and there are times in the life of even this church, of this house, where generosity and the call to generosity will call you straight out of your comfort zone. Here's point number one if you're taking points. Generosity chooses calling over comfort. Generosity chooses calling over comfort. This is what has happened to Elijah. There is nothing easy about what elijah's doing right now there's nothing comfortable there's nothing secure there's nothing like let me lay back and i'm just kind of in coast mode and just kind of like going it is straight pull me out of the comfort zone how many of you like your comfort zones i like my comfort zones i like i I like my i like my wood stove in the winter and it keeps it keeps one side of my house a nice nice eighty degrees. It could be it could be zero outside, and I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt inside. I like my comfort zone in the in the summer. I want the exact opposite. How about you? Right? I want you know. I mean, I like I like my own pillow. I slept in the hotel last night. It was great, but I brought my own pillow with me because I like my comfort zones. We all do, you know what I mean? I like like I like your dog. Your dog's okay. My dogs are a whole lot better. I like I like my comfort zones. I, I mean. We all have things in our life that we just just really enjoy. But for Elijah and for you personally and for this house, there are times when God says there's a calling on your life and that calling is going to grab you and yank you out of the comfort zone. This is what's happened to Elijah. He's lost his home. He's probably lost friends. He's probably lost respect from people. The king no longer, the king is threatening Elijah. The king is basically saying to Elijah, I want to kill you. You're a troublemaker. This is what the text that we just read. And Elijah's response was, I'm not the troublemaker. You're the troublemaker. I mean, they're going back and forth. Like these are two dudes that at one point worked together. Everything is uncomfortable for Elijah. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, that's my life right now. Everything in my life feels uncomfortable. Why? Because there's something happening in your life. And, and maybe even in this house, in this church, there are seasons Where God says, no, 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 I'm agitating you and I'm trying to pull you out of comfort. I'm trying to pull you out of average. I'm trying to change your view. I'm trying to, I'm trying to increase your level of generosity. Yes, in giving financially, but also your generosity in the way you love in the way that you serve, in the way that you care, in the way that you think about your community and your family and your schools and your friends. I'm agitating you. That's what happened to Israel. Three years of drought to simply mess them up and make them say, no, 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 no. I got to go to the next level in my relationship with God. And so Elijah, Elijah pulls them all together. Now they're on the top of Mount Carmel, right? Just kind of talking you through the rest of the story here until we get to the next point. They're on the top of Mount Carmel, and, 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 and they basically set up this, uh, I guess it's a test, right? It's a test to see which God is the real God. And so Elijah says to them, hey, you build your altar, I'll build my altar, Right. When an altar was, was, you know, basically a platform of stones with some wood on it. You sacrifice your bull. I'll sacrifice my bull. That was the way that they did worship in the, in the old religious system of the Old Testament. And so they're sacrificing theirs and Elijah's sacrificing his. And then Elijah says, Hey, listen, like whatever God can flick their bick the fastest wins. (laughs) Like whatever God can bring fire from heaven wins. Like it's like, this is like a typical man move here. We got a disagreement. We're going to settle it over the barbecue. Let's go. You know, it's like pit masters all over again, right? <laughs> right. And, and, and so this, this epic scenario plays out, and, and, and it's Elijah all by himself versus about 850 false prophets and the king and the king's army, as well as the text says all of Israel is invited to this moment. So this is like a stadium level event right now. And here's Elijah all by himself, the only person who seems willing to step out of the comfort zone to follow calling. You ever been there? Do you ever feel like you were the only one? Some of you young people in the room, do you ever ever walk into the hallways of your school and feel like I'm the only one? I'm I'm the only one who really wants to live for Jesus. I'm the only one who really cares. You ever been there? Do you ever walk into your job? I'm the only one. Do you ever look around at your family and think, I'm I'm the only one? I'm the the only one who really gets what's happening here. I, I think that all of us at some point or some season of our life have moments where we feel like, God, if I am the only one, I'm willing to be the only one just to do what you've called me to do. And the privilege of generosity always calls us out of comfort and into calling, I, I think of it like this. I, I, I think God reserves the right to disrupt your comfort zone at a time and place of his choosing. He reserves the right. Why does he do that? My, my, my dad used to put it like this to me all the time. My dad, my dad was a assembly God pastor for many, many years, and now he's retired, but still is very active in ministry. But my dad used to always say to me, especially as a boy growing up, my dad used to always say, son... There's no growth in the comfort zone, but there's no comfort in the growth zone. It was like one of those phrases. You know how your parents always had phrases? And as a kid, eventually, when they said it you know, more, more than like a zillion times, you're just, just like, stop it. I don't want to hear it anymore. Just be done, right? <laughs> just stop talking to me, right? But like, bro, that one just stuck with me, and I hated it, but it was true. It was true. It, it, it was just, It was my dad reminding me that... God takes us through moments where he he says, I want you to grow to the next level. Let let me speak to this house here, Freedom Valley House. It's God in this series saying through the word of God, saying through your pastors, Freedom Valley, I want you to grow in your generosity. I want you to grow in this next level. I want you to get out of this comfort zone that you're in, and I want you to grow up. Listen, listen, your next level of generosity in life has no respect for your current comfort zone. That, and that's true in every area of spiritual growth. In fact, some of you, God is agitating your, your, your life right now through the circumstances of your life because he's trying to get you on the next level. He's trying to help you grow up a little bit. And this is hard because we're Americans and we love comfort. <laughs> For most American Christians, comfort is our drug of choice. For most American Christians, comfort is the number one barrier between you and the growth that God wants to see happen in your life. It's comfort. I want to be comfortable. I want to be comfortable. I want it to be easy. I want it to be easy. And we get them. We're Americans. And that's part of our culture, right? Comfort. Something quick, something easy. We want our food fast. We want our fame overnight. We want 30 pounds off in 30 days. Oh, Jesus, Please. Like, we get excited because we got the stomach flu because we think we're going to lose 10 pounds in one week. We're like, this is awesome. <laughs> I mean, we're just weird, right? Right? We'd rather have cheat sheets than study guys. We'd rather have handouts than hard work. Right? I, I mean, I mean, think, I mean, this is every, we, we, we're a handout generation. Just give it to you for free. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just over and over. And we take those cultural preferences and we apply them to spiritual growth and it doesn't work. Because you can't experience the promises of God fulfilled in your life without going through the processes that God calls you to go through. And you can't experience biblical destiny on your life and get it on a discount. You you can't experience the calling of God on your life fulfilled and get it on sale. Listen, it didn't work that way for Jesus, did it? When he stretched his arms out on a cross... To shed his blood for your forgiveness and my forgiveness. He didn't get it on sale. He paid the ultimate price to purchase your salvation and my salvation. He didn't find you at a bargain bin somewhere. He didn't find you on a Saturday morning flea market somewhere. He didn't get you at an old school Kmart blue light special. He paid the ultimate price for you. And if that was true of the sacrifice Jesus made for you, completely coming out of a comfort zone, then that's got to be true for you and I to fulfill calling in our life. And the, and the narrative of Elijah shows that. So Elijah's in a situation here, right? I mean, he's coming out of the comfort zone. So, so, so let's, let's move forward here real quick, right? Let, let, let me, let me get you to verse number 30, chapter 18, verse number 30, right? Right? And I'm going to give you a couple more points that I'm going to extract out of the remainder of this story, right? Verse number 30. Then, then Elijah, they're on, they're, on the, they're on the mountain now. They're all together, right? The prophets of Baal, they, they've been praying and praying and praying for hours and, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours for their false God to drop fire from heaven, and nothing happened. You know why? Because they're talking to a volleyball named Wilson, right? It doesn't. I mean, it's like there's no God there. And so finally, their time is done. Now it's Elijah's time, and in verse 30 here, the rest of the story picks up. Then Elijah said to all the people, so these are all of the people, the Israelites that, that were, had come to watch this epic showdown, this religious UFC fight, right? Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. No, and I could stop there and I could, I mean, I could, I mean, I could just go really deep for about 15 minutes. I'm not going to. But, but, but at one point in history, Mount Karma was a place where they sacrificed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and that altar had been destroyed and a new altar to the God of Baal had been erected. I, I, I could talk to you here about, about generous people take ownership rather than rentalship. I could talk to you about how about how houses of worship like Freedom Valley take ownership for what's happening in their community even if they weren't responsible for what happened in their community. This is what Elijah's doing. He's taking ownership for I will be the one to rebuild the altar of the Lord even though I'm not the one who destroyed it. I'm I, I going to stay focused here. But, but he, he, he rebuilds the altar of the Lord. He took 12 stones. This is verse 31. One for each of the tribes descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. And he arranged the wood, and he cut the bull into pieces. That was the sacrifice, and he laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering of wood. Okay, let me just stop right here. How many of you have ever tried to build a fire? Okay. Okay. I don't. I mean, is this? I mean, Elijah's doing something here that I, I've never been taught. I mean, I'm not much of a camper. I'm more of a glamper kind of guy. You know, like like RVs with Wi-Fi and air conditioning. That I'm I'm okay with that, right? Uh, um, but but I just I just haven't gone on to like Google and said how to start a fire and saw in the recipe somewhere right before you light the wood, pour water over top of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I'm more of like a, of a lighter fluid and door flame kind of guy. You know, like, like just dump it, dash it with gasoline and throw a match on it from a distance and like, okay, good. Like, and so Elijah's doing something here and he's instructing the people, mind you, to do something here. Let's just call it what it is that makes no sense. You don't build a fire and before you light it, douse it with water. Doesn't work. Like, and if you're like one of the people here, you're just like, you're looking at Elijah and you are being like, he lost it. He crazy. Like we up here on this mountain, we building this fire. There's like armies and people that hate us and prophets of Baal. And, and he's talking about like dump some water on this mess. Like he's just going, he's going crazy. And Elijah was a crazy guy to begin with. I mean, I mean, think, I mean he lived by a brook and was fed by ravens for three years. That's weird. In, in, another, in another part of the, of the Old Testament, the, uh, Elijah is his physical appearance is described like this: Elijah was a hairy man who wore a leather belt. Okay, so he looked like Chewbacca, right? Right? And and like I'm just I'm thinking now at this point there are people standing on top of Mount Carmel when Elijah says, "Hey, dump some water on this thing," and they're like, "Um, uh, excuse me, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Ch- Chewbacca, I mean, Elijah, Elijah, um, like." Um, have you seen um, Tom Hanks in Castaway? Like, this is not a good idea. Like, this isn't, you know, like, you don't want to, like, you know. It, the instruction makes no sense. Have you ever had a moment in your life where where God didn't make sense? Where the instruction of God didn't make sense? Whether you were receiving or hearing that instruction through a pastor or a preacher Or, or whether you were receiving it through uh, reading and praying and studying and worshiping, and God was giving direction to your life, and in the moment of you hearing the direction, you thought to yourself, "Well, no, that, 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 no, that, that'll never work." You ever been there, (laughs) right? Isn't this why in the in the book of Proverbs, chapter three, it says, "Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding," because it makes no sense. This, this, and the Bible is full of that. I mean, I mean, I could talk to you about Joshua marching around Jericho for seven days. That makes no sense. This is not a winning strategy for an army. Let's march around the wall. We could talk about Noah building an ark, building a boat during a period in history where they had no idea what a flood was because they had no idea what rain was because it had never rained yet. His friends are like, what are you building? A boat. Why? It's going to rain. What's rain? I mean, it's like, what? You could talk about David, a little junior high teenage boy, running out with with like some stones to to fight against a nine foot giant. That makes no sense. You could talk about the teenage girl Mary who comes home to her parents and says, "I'm pregnant." Jesus did it. Whoa, that's weird. Like, I mean, like this makes no sense. The virgin birth, right? The, I mean, all through Scripture, you have. Story after story, historical narrative after narrative of men and women and people of God and houses of worship, just like Freedom Valley, saying up here, generosity makes no sense. But in here, I know it's absolutely what I'm supposed to do. Here's the second point for you if you take a note. Generosity chooses who over what. It doesn't matter what was said. It doesn't matter what the instruction was. The, the, the instruction is inconsequential in comparison to the voice of the one who declared it. What do you mean by that? I mean, if God's the one who said it, I'll stay on God's side even if I can't physically or mentally understand it. Why? Because the Bible tells me in the book of Isaiah that his thoughts are not my thoughts, that his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, that his ways are higher than my ways. In fact, the Bible says that as far from the the, the heavens to the earth are God's ways in comparison to my ways. That means that on my best day, at my highest level of IQ and intellect, I'm still about 93 trillion miles below God's ability to think and understand and know exactly what's happening in my life or in this house. And so I trust what he said because he's the one who said it. People of Israel are like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. We're going to go dump some water over this thing. This is crazy. I, I, mean, I mean, this... this, this. There are some things that God has spoken to you in the last couple weeks that make no sense to you, right? There are some things that God has put on your heart. There are some, even even last week, and I was was watching Pastor Candice's message online last week, and I was hearing her unpack uh, biblically the the principle of the tithe and, and of giving and of generosity. And I thought to myself, there are some people listening to this message that are thinking, this makes no sense. When I look at my numbers, when I look at my paycheck, when I look at my budget, when I look at my bills, when I look at my debt, this makes no sense. Listen, friend, I've been there. I've been there. In in, in the summer of 2018, uh, my wife and I and our family felt like God was saying to us, it is time for you to leave the comfort zone and it's time for you to jump, take a leap of faith off the proverbial cliff, so to speak, and 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 do Lead the Generation. That's the name of our ministry. And uh, and, and I travel, and I speak full-time like this, and, and we train students, and we train uh, students in leadership across our, our really our whole region and beyond. We train leaders, and we're addressing issues that are happening in the American church. Um, 50% of churches in America have no weekly youth ministry. We're helping address that issue by training volunteers that are going to stand up, and, and they're going to mentor and, and, and embrace young people. And so it's a big part. We have Couple conferences coming up, uh, actually next week and the weekend after that, um, and and so God's doing some really great things. But it didn't start there; it started with God saying it's time for you to jump, and and for us that was scary. That that meant, in a very practical sense, in in a, just reality for us was it meant we're going to walk away from a position on a on a staff at a church that has guaranteed comforts involved, like. A paycheck (laughs) like health insurance like like friends right right we're gonna walk away from that and we're gonna jump off of the cliff so to speak and we're gonna be like here we go this made no sense we felt like god was saying do this it's time to go it's time for you to jump and i'm thinking are you kidding me i'm a i'm a we got a family of five i got three teenagers in the home at the time we got two dogs big dogs real dogs not the fake little dogs Right. Well, I've talked about that before. We don't need to re- rehash that. I'm still trying to help some of you out, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They eat a lot of food. I mean, this made no sense. And I, I remember God saying, no, it's time for you to go. And I, I was looking at the, I'm looking at the bank account and I'm like, we got enough money for one month. After that, we're going to die. <laughs> and God's like, go, go, do it, jump. I told, I, told, I told my family, I told friends, we're going to take this jump, we're going to take this leap. And, and they're all like, oh, oh. You know, you know how it is, like they're trying to act like they're excited for you, but they're really just like, you're an idiot. And I'm like, we're going to jump. And they're like, what are you, you going to do if it doesn't work? I'm like, I don't know. We're going to fall down, I guess. We're going we're gonna to jump. We're going to build our wings, and hopefully we'll have them done by the time we you know, almost hit the ground. Like, we're going to do this. Can I, can I tell you what happened, though, in, in response? And see, this is what will happen in your life. This is what will happen in this house right here if you choose generosity that says, I, I choose to believe who said it more than, than what was said. I choose to believe because of the voice it came from. For the next seven months in our, in our family, we saw financial miracles take place every single month. We saw bills that all of a sudden were gone. We saw uh, kids that used to get sick on a regular basis no longer getting sick anymore because when God sustains you and provides for you, he does it in a lot of different ways, not just in the financial way. I, we saw mailbox miracles happen on a regular basis. You say, what's a mailbox miracle? This is what a mailbox miracle is. It was Black Friday, 2018. My wife is sitting in front of her computer. She says, man, there's a lot of great sales this year. I really would love to get some of this stuff for Christmas for the girls and we could save some money. I'm like, baby, we don't got no money. She's like, we got nothing. I'm like, we got nothing. I, I can't, I can't do anything. Like, I got, we got, en- we got enough to pay the bills. That's all we can do. And I, I said, what do you need? She said, I don't know. Like, maybe, maybe 300 bucks or something like that would be great. I'm like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I kid you not. About 10 minutes after that conversation, I walked out to check the mail. And when I walked in, I'm holding an unmarked envelope in my hand. My wife says, What's that? She said, I don't know. I said, I said, I don't know. It's only got no address on it. it, has no stamp on it, it's just a blank envelope. I opened it up and there's $300 cash in that envelope. I'm like, Hey, you got your, you got your, my kids were there witnessing the whole thing. All of a sudden, I saw the faith, not just my faith, but the faith of my entire family, all three of my teenage kids. Their eyes just brighten up and they're like, Oh my goodness, dad, did you do that? I'm like, I did not do that. I, like, who did it? I'm like, I don't know. Someone just walked by and randomly threw $300 cash in them. Can I, can I, you know, you know what happened? It was funny. The next day, one of my daughters said to me, She's like, Hey, dad, can I check the mail today? <laughs> Be- because when you begin to live a life of generosity, you begin to realize it doesn't matter whether the instruction makes sense to me or not, if God's the one who said it, count me in. If God told you last week to take a step and start tithing, then count yourself in. If God told you last week to take a step and to give above and beyond and to be generous and to start giving to the Freedom Foundation that's a part of this house here, cause it makes sense with nickels and dimes on your budget simply because God's the one who said it. And so he's speaking to, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. He's speaking to the people here and he says, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. And so they did it. And then in verse 34, he says, do it again. And so they did it again. And then he says, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Okay, now there's a lot in here. There's a lot in here. Um, we, We could talk about how Elijah took 12 stones earlier and he rebuilt the altar. And biblically speaking, 12 is the number of faith. It's the number of, of completeness. Yeah. Right? And, and now again, we could, we could say they, they, they took four pots and they filled them up three times. And so, and then if, if you're good at math, right? Four times three is, okay, so you're not good at math, but that's okay. It's 12. So, <laughs> okay. It's 12. And so there's that number again. And then if you really want to go even deeper, and I won't take a lot of time to do this, but if you want to go even deeper, three in the Bible is the number of divinity. Four in the Bible is the number of mankind or earthliness. There's this really deep understanding of what Elijah's doing. I don't even think the people themselves realized it. But there's this sense where Elijah is prophetically saying to them that because 12 is a product of three, when we combine divinity with the earthliness, when we combine God's supernatural ability with your, you and I's natural ability, faith is made complete. Are, are you, are you there? Some, some of you are missing it. Some, some of you, some of you aren't getting it because you're too, you're, you're, you're too stuck in four. You're too stuck in natural. You're too stuck in earthly. You're too stuck in the way you think about things to say, you know what? God can bring some supernatural. God can bring some divinity. My faith, listen, your faith will never be complete until you embrace the element of God's divine, supernatural provision in your life. Your generosity will never be complete until you look at it and say, I got a lot of fours here, but I'm going to trust that the divine number three is going to come into play here. And all of a sudden, you begin to see the miraculous take place. And so he says, fill it up with water, fill it up with water. Now I got two more points. We're going to go through them real quick. Here's my question to you. And remember the context of the story. The context of the story is there's been a drought for three years. And now Elijah is saying to them, hey, see those four large pots there, whatever they were, these buckets, fill them up with water. Question, where would the water come from? There's been a drought for three years. I mean, where did they go to get the water? If there's been a three-year drought in a geographical region like the Middle East, that means there's no wells anymore that are working. There's no cisterns anymore that are still holding water. There's all the streams and brooks and, and small little creeks have all dried up. And so the only way you could actually get that much water that quickly would have been to go to a large body of water. The closest large body of water, geographically speaking, would have been the Mediterranean Sea. But it was one day's walk one way. I've been to Mount Carmel. I've stood on Mount Carmel. I've looked and saw the sea. I asked the guide, how long would it take me to walk there? He said, that's a day's walk. So, where did, I mean, it seems as if the water comes rather immediately, don't you think? The narrative doesn't say they waited for several hours or even several days for people to go get water. It just says, he said, fill it up with water, and they filled it up with water. So where did the water come from? Now, the text doesn't specifically say it, but if I'm doing like some like investigative work here, I can really only come to one conclusion, and that is that the water must have come from whatever water supply people brought with them for the day. So you got like, people with their little canteens, right? You got like some visco girl with her little hydro flask there talking about, I'm going to save the trees, right? <laughs> you, know, right? You, got, you got like some his, hipster with like their wood grain water bottle there. Like, oh, you know. Well, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, where'd the water come from? It must have come from the people because God said through Elijah to the people, fill these with water. Fill them with water. Now, here's the third point. Number three and four are going to go really fast. Right? Here's the third point generosity chooses giving over receiving generosity chooses giving over receiving now now here's what's happening in the text in the text the people want to receive something what do they want to receive water they have come to the mountain because word has spread through all of the nation of israel that the prophet elijah has declared the drought is soon to be over and rain is coming on the land so they've come out of hiding. They've come out of poverty. They've come out and they brought and they said, okay, this is the moment. They need to receive something in this moment. They need to receive water. Why? Because at this point, historically speaking, in the nation of Israel, water was the most valuable commodity known to mankind. I mean, they, I mean, we're not talking gold. We're not talking silver. We're not talking money. We're not talking cattle or, or sheep or goats. Most of them had died at this point because they couldn't live without the water. We're not talking about an exchange of crops. We're not trading here. It's not a flea market on top of Mount Carmel. We're talking about water. We need water or we die. And they're standing there, and they got like a little water bottle, and Elijah says, dump that out, and put it in there. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, if I'm one of those people, I'm like, be crazy. I need this to live. I need, I, I need this to provide for myself. I need this to provide for my family. I got priorities for this water. I'm going to drink this water. This is my water. I'm not sharing this water with anybody. I'm not even going to give someone a sip. I mean, this is, this is mine. But generosity says, I understand in God's economy, the way to receive is to give. The way for me to receive in my life is to give. The the, the area in my life, let let, let, me make it real personal for you, the area in your life right now where you need to receive the most is probably the area where you need to give the most. The area, I can say it the opposite way too, the area in your life right now where you need to receive the most probably is the area where you're giving the least. And because you're giving so sparingly in this area, you're not receiving all that God has for you. I'm talking about money, but I'm also talking about a lot of other things too. I'm talking to every one of you lonely people that feel like you don't have any friends. It's probably because you're not very friendly. Ooh, guess preachers can get away with saying that kind of stuff. (laughs) You know, I I mean, every person here is looking for a job. It might be because you don't have a good work ethic. That's why you keep losing your job. Because you're not giving enough. Every student here who feels like, man, I I got no purpose. I can't figure out what, what my life is all about. It's probably because you're not giving enough in reading the Bible and in praying and reaching out to your friends. You're not giving enough in the area where you need to receive. The thing they need to receive the most is water. And it's also the thing that Elijah asked for the greatest sacrifice through. He says, give me your greatest gift right now. So these people walk up and they give it. Let me, let me just say it like this before I go on to point number four. Aaron, we'll come, on, come on up here. We're almost done. Stop praying for things in your life that you're unwilling to pay for. We do this all the time, especially in the American church. We pray for stuff, but we won't pay for it. God, praying for revival in Gettysburg. But you ain't praying for it you're not you're not showing up at at prayer nights at church god i'm praying for new friends but you won't even smile to the people who actually smiled to you and said hello god i'm praying for purity in my life but you fill yourself with all sorts of junk on a regular basis god i'm praying for power in my life but you won't live in purity God, god god i'm just praying for my friends All of you you young people, all you students in the room, God, I'm just praying for my friends. I'm praying that my friends will find Jesus, that they'll come to Mark's Madness, the events that Pastor Jason's doing right now. God, I'm just praying for my friends to find Jesus right now. But you won't share your faith with them or invite them to come to church. Stop praying for what you won't pay for. God, I'm praying you'll get me out of debt in my life, but you won't tithe. I, I, I mean, the last three or four years, I, 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 can, I can speak to this only because I'm, I've been living it out. As a, and, and my wife and I and our family have been living it out. For the last three or four years, we've been living in that, in that place where, like, every month is like a new adventure, financially speaking. <laughs> you know, what's going to happen? And, you know, how's God going to provide? How's this going to happen? How's this going to happen? Here's, how's this going to happen over and over and over again? And I, I can only speak to this point because if there's one thing that we got right it was when my wife looked at each other in the eyes in the summer of 2018, and we were getting ready to jump off that cliff of faith, so to speak, and we said to ourselves, we will never stop tithing. We will never, no matter, no matter how bill, bad the bills are, no matter how all the areas we have to cut, no matter how many things don't make sense, we're not gonna stop being faithful. And when you give in whatever area of your life, when you choose generosity and you give the very thing that you need the most, God shows up. I, I, I'm, I'm, we're just going to end it here, partially because of time and partially because of the next point. I, I just, I'll, just, I'll just go way too far. Last, last Christmas, um, early December, my wife and I were having a conversation about Christmas and about christmas presents and you know all the money that it takes to do all that thing you kind of know that and it's you know obviously for your family like it is for mine it's such a special time and you put so much into it and i remember my wife saying to me what are are we going to do what are we going to do this year how's this going to work you know how are we going to be able to you know like get the presents and all that kind of stuff and i just said i don't know i I really don't know i don't i don't know that was my way of saying let's just hope for another mailbox miracle (laughs) you know I can't can't tell you how many times I have been so excited just to walk to the mailbox at 12.45 every single day just to watch what God was gonna do. And so we had had a group of friends over in early December and there were people that were helping us plan our our Lead the Generation conferences, the the conferences that happened next weekend and the week after that, the one in New Jersey and the one in, in Pittsburgh. And, uh, and so we, we, were, we just wanted to bless them. We wanted to take care of them. And so we had ordered some food in. And, and um, it wasn't much money, but it was, we just wanted to bless them. And so we ordered some food in. And so the, the young lady, a young teenager, she, she was the one who came and she delivered the food. And I just thought she was going to just drop it off and just kind of like throw the stuff there and she left. But she's like setting it up and she's like making it look great and she's doing all this work and everything. I was just so impressed. I was so impressed with her work ethic. I was just so impressed. with And and as I was kind of observing the way that she was kind of presenting the food that we had bought, I I just heard the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, "Um, you need to bless her. You need to be generous with your tip. I didn't have to tip her. It wasn't expected. I had already paid the bill. She could have just walked out of there and said, "I did my job." But I just felt like God said, "You need to bless her." And so I grabbed a handful of cash. I don't even remember how much it was. It wasn't an absorbent amount, but it was for us. It was for us. That's my point. It was for us. And and, and I and I just remember like I just remember, man, you did such a great job. I can tell, and I just kind of spoke some nice things to her. I said, "You did such a great job. I can tell why you're such a good employee for this company. They probably love you." Because you're so excellent in what you do. And I, did, and I handed her a nice tip. And when her face lit up. She just smiled. An hour later, I, I kid you not, an hour, we had not even finished eating lunch yet. I'm sitting there with my wife and some friends, and the phone rings. It's one of my old buddies from college who we've stayed really close with for many, many years. And, and he says, hey, Aaron, I was praying the other day, and I felt like God said to me that I need to pay for your Christmas for your family. So check is in the mail, buddy. Come in your... Listen, it's not always about money, but for many of you it is because your comfort zone in your finances and your resistance to generosity is one of the biggest bondages in your life. And there are times where God agitates you out of a comfort zone. There are times when God says to you, calling is more important. There are times when God says to you, what I said is more important because of who I am in your life whether you understand it or not. And there are times in your life where you give in the area that you need to receive in the greatest. Is this not exactly what Jesus Christ has done for you? You needed to receive forgiveness. You needed to receive grace. You needed to receive love. You needed to receive understanding. And what did Jesus do to meet that need? He gave his life on a cross for you. You're listen. You're sitting in the generosity of another person right now. Do you realize that? You you missed it. You are physically sitting in this house, in that chair, because of the generosity of another generation that went before you. You've received what you've received today because someone else gave it in a moment of their life where they heard the voice of the Lord say, "It's It's time to give, it's time to give, it's time to give, it's time to be generous. You receive that. You, you, you teenagers right now, everything normal in your life is provided to you by the giving and the favor and the generosity of the parents in your life. It's normal for you. It's a huge blessing for your mom and dad because they remember what it was like when they didn't have it. They remember what it was like when we didn't have smartphones and internet and technology. They they remember what it was like when they only had a couple dollars to go to the grocery store. You're living in the favor of someone else's faithfulness. And now's your moment, just like it was for the people of Israel. The people of Israel up until this point had lived in the favor and faithfulness of the prophet Elijah. And now the tide has turned and Elijah says to them, it's time for you to give back. It's time for you to respond with your heads bowed with your eyes closed I just want to give you an opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to very specifically speak some things into your heart to confirm some things that he's been trying to speak to your heart to challenge you to take steps forward in specific areas of your life where you've been way too comfortable to take steps forward in areas of your life where you have focused too much on what was said versus on who said it to choose to give in areas of your life that connect with the areas of your life that have the greatest need to receive so all across this room heads bowed eyes closed you're here in the room today and you would just say pastor Aaron the holy Spirit, speaking to me right now there's some things that I need to address there's some areas of generosity that I need to develop in my life it could be finances for you. It could be relationships for you. It could be the way you care for other people. It could be serving here at this house at Freedom Valley Church. It could be so many different areas of generosity that God's pointing at right now. But in this moment, you would just simply recognize to, to, to me and to God, you would say, that's me. You're talking to me right now. I, 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 need there, I need to take a step forward in some of these areas of my life. If that's you right now, right where you're standing. Would you just raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? And you say, God's God's dealing with me about something right now. Go ahead, just raise it up. Raise it up. Raise it up. Raise it up. Yeah, raise it up. Raise it up. Raise it up. Hold it up high. Hold it up real high. In fact, do this with me. Raise both hands to heaven right now. Raise both hands to heaven right now and just begin to receive just to begin to receive what God is speaking to you in this moment. Just to begin to receive, God, you're talking to me about generosity. God, you're talking to me about the way I love. You're talking to me about the way I give. You're talking to me about my relationships. You're talking to me about my work ethic in life. You're talking to me about my school ethic. You young people that are in the room, God, you're speaking to me about areas of my life. God, you're, you're disrupting comfort zones in my life right now. And you're challenging me to pursue calling in spite of whatever sacrifices I have to make. God, you're reminding me of who you are in, in my life and that your words are more powerful than whether it makes sense to me or not. God, you're reminding me the areas of my life that I need to give and give more freely and more generously and so that I can receive all that I need, all the sustenance and provision that I need. All across this room, would you do this with me? Would you just raise your hands if you feel comfortable? Would you raise your hands right now? All across this room, would you raise your hands right now? And would you just take a moment, would you just take a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you? I, I just I, I believe even those that raised their hands earlier, but, but more so for every one of us in the room, there, there's something there's an area of your life that the Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention in and I'm praying that he's going to do that right now. It might be through something that I preached it might be through something that Aaron said earlier during worship. it might be just through something that you read earlier this week that's not connected to today's message but there's something in your there's an area in your life that the Holy Spirit is trying to address. I just want to give him a moment to do that. God, do it, I pray. In the, Jesus, in the name of 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 Jesus, I pray, do it. Amen, amen.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to
1: IMN. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. Aaron was saying how sometimes the the area you need to be generous in is the area where you have need. And all of us at one point or another have been in need of Forgiveness from our God, salvation for our lives, the new life that Jesus offers. And here's the truth of God's word: that that He is so generous in His love. That that He loved us so much that He gave His Son. You see, all of us have sinned and are far from God. And He is generous and He gave His Son. And you in this room, if you feel far from God, if you if you need forgiveness again, if if you need to, to run close to Him and say, Say, I need you to forgive me my sins. I need a new life in you, Lord. Here's the the truth of that. He gives it, but then we give him our lives. When we give him our lives, he has already given us salvation. Here today, if you need forgiveness of your sins, if you need a new life in Jesus, if you need to come back to your Savior, you can do that today. If you're here and you'd say, I need Jesus to forgive me my sins. I need to follow him from this day forward. I need to give my life to him because I'm making a mess of it on my own. If that's you, would you just let me know by raising your hand? I need forgiveness of my sins. I I need Jesus to come close. I need a new life in this place. I have to give my all to him. If your hand's up right now, the ushers, they're gonna bring you a small card with some next steps for you to take. And I wanna give us an opportunity today to be generous you see, I know Aaron pretty well from, from college and working in youth ministry over the years. And, and I know he's a man who, who practices what he preaches in this area. He talked about generosity and need, and he mentioned his, his ministry to young people, lead the generation. And our youth, we weren't going to be able to go this year. It's in Pittsburgh, and Jersey, and it's kind of far. And, and we have another leadership conference lined up that we're going to bless the students with and, and all of that. And I was talking with him, and he says, you know what? I'd like to help you out. You can bring a, a van load of students on me. Just practicing generosity in a ministry that, that means so much to him. I would love it if every Church, we could bless Aaron generously today. So the ushers are ready right now to receive any gifts. If, if you guys could bring your way forward. If you would feel generous in this area to bless Aaron and lead the generation, we wanna send them with a gift. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for Aaron speaking so powerfully on an issue that can bring us to the next level for the areas in our lives where we need to be generous. Would you be generous through us as we bless, lead the generation in the ministry of Aaron Holt here today? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Right now the ushers are passing, the buckets. Would you feel free to bless, lead the generation? And I wanna encourage you, this week, find the areas in your life where you need to be generous. Find the places you need to move to the next level in faith. Don't allow yourself to stay stuck by holding tightly to what God has asked you to give. I wanna encourage you, the prayer team is gonna be available here at the front of the stage following our services today. They're making their way up here right now. We're also gonna encourage you, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, text the number that's on the screen behind me. I wanna thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Would you pray with me as we thank God for this time and the ushers receive the buckets. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are working on our behalf, that you love us so much that you would pour out your presence. I thank you for this word and I pray pray blessing over the ministry of Aaron, his family, and lead the generation. God, would you richly empower students through his continued gifting. Would you bless churches all throughout our area through his gifting, and would you continue to grow his ministry as he exercises the generosity with which he has led us to step out into today. I thank you for this time, this place, and these people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, thank you so much for worshiping with us. We'll see you guys next week.